When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. I'll suffer for Jesus this morning. How about that? Talking about suffering, I, um, I came, I do about 550 miles a week on my motorcycle going from downtown Jacksonville, Springfield, 55 miles out. I've been working for the last nearly four months now at Columbia uh, Correctional Institution. I've gone back to prison. It seems to be my, my calling right now. I, I do enjoy working with inmates, even though the paperwork that you have to do to cover the, uh, the states behind uh, is rather excessive. So kind of minimizes my time with inmates and more, more paperwork. But you've got to get through the paperwork to see people in need. And so I, I love working with, with inmates. Um, that's what I've been doing. Anyway, I packed my little pack and left both pairs of glasses. So Carol, thank you for your glasses. If you see me <laughs> doing this, it's because they're a little more powerful than I'm used to. But I can't read a thing without glasses these days which I discovered a few years ago. One night, I was fine. Reading to my boys, we were reading uh, Lord of the Rings. And um, one night, I could read. And the next night, I couldn't. It's like, whoa, I, I need glasses. So there we go. Needed them ever since. So Psalm 126. Those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, and especially the Psalms, will know that this is one of the uh, Psalms of Ascent, one of the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 through 134, I think it is, are the Psalms of Ascent. And these are the Psalms that historically the children of Israel, the remnants of actually Judah, the, the, the ten lost tribes went into um, Assyria when they were taken over at the fall of Samaria in 722. They never came back, but the two southern tribes who had Jerusalem as their capital, they were uh, taken into captivity for 70 years by Babylon in 589 B.C. And they did come back. And they were restored. You see that in the, told in the New Old Testament in Ezra and Nehemiah. They were restored. They restored the temple again. And every year they would sing these psalms as they would go back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place of worship, central place of worship. And as they were going, whether from the coast or from nearby, they would all join together, and these would be the traditional songs that they would sing on their journey. And during the summer at our church, at Christ Church in town, we've been, I've been reading this, a long obedience in the same direction. Um, David, our pastor, David Abney, he preached through these and gave two or three of them, uh, well, a couple of them to me, and then we got the other preachers there. So I'm actually preaching to your sermon. I have preached before, but I thought, given where you are as a church, this would be a really good sermon to bring to you. Where is all 
your joy or laughter. That's what I've called this sermon. Where is all your joy and laughter? For those of you familiar with the New Testament, that is a question that Paul asks the Galatian church. It's in Galatians 4.15. Where is all your joy? Where is all your happiness? Where is it all gone? And this is a church that Paul is trying to diagnose. He's telling them that you're believing How did you become a Christian? You became a Christian through believing the gospel. Not what you did for God, but what God has done for you. That's the gospel, the good news. Jesus was sent by God to die on a cross for your sins, that you could come back into relationship. He gets all of your sin. You get his right standing with his own father. A human life that completely fulfills the law And that is the great exchange, is it not? That's the good news, the gospel. He gets all my sin. I get all of his right standing with his own father given to me. And that is my standing before God. Not my completion of the law. Not the progress in my sanctification. In other words, the process whereby God makes me more and more like Jesus Christ. But my standing before God as a clear conscience comes from faith in what God has done for me, not what I've done for him. Amen? That was a little short, concise. I'll finish now. Thank you very much. (laughs) All right, communion time. Paul, by the end of Galatians, is using this diagnostic question to say, what happened? What happened to you guys? And what was happening in Galatians, and I think what happens to a lot of our lives, we begin our life in joy with a realization of seeing our sin, seeing Jesus dying for our sin, and the consequence, joy and laughter is not commanded in the Bible. It is a consequence of something that happens to us, which is God's grace. The ability to see our sin, and then the ability to see what God has done about it brings about joy and laughter. And that itself becomes attractive to other people. They see it. And in Galatians, Paul's saying, what you guys have done, you've forgotten your first joy, and now you think that continuing in relationship, the journey to Jerusalem, the journey for us as Christians towards heaven, and going through this exile of life, battling Satan, sin, in ourselves and in others, is now completed by your good works. And Paul says, if you do it that way, you'll lose your joy, right? You will, because it's too hard. The way in which you began your Christian journey is the way you're you're to continue it and the way in which you are to finish it. And we have a reminder of all that, not just in the New Testament, but actually in the Old Testament. The Old Testament believers were actually believers in God's grace. It had a different look. They didn't know about Jesus, but they still believed in God's grace. And here they are on the road to Jerusalem, and they're trying to remind each other of, of what God has done and we need that, don't we? We need reminders of what God has done because that's what keeps us, keeps us going. The Israelites are toiling towards Jerusalem, their goal. Yet what will lift their spirits on the journey? What will lift our spirits as you struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil? We are all exiles from captivity to sin. And Psalm 127, 
sorry, 126, is the declaration and a memorial of sudden past grace and hope that God's sudden grace can restore us and renew us again and again. But why don't we experience this? It's very simple. We come to God because we often don't have joy within ourselves. I don't know about you, but by the end of riding a motorcycle, going to a prison, pouring out, I have like 180 inmates on my caseload. By the time I've poured into them and I come back home, and then usually I have a client either at 6 or 7 o'clock, I have a private practice, uh, I'm pretty tired. And my boys are often saying to me, Dad, where is all your joy? You know, you like to pour into, you know, it would probably be better for us if we were inmates. You know, maybe, maybe we'd see you. Maybe you'd have something left over for us. And it's easy to come home, lose all your joy, be angry with your kids when they, when they disbehave, you know, misbehave. And they could ask the same question, couldn't they? Where's, well, where's all your joy? You spilled it somewhere else. And then it's easy to get our joys, isn't it? From sitting down, watching the TV, right? Someone wants to call the TV chewing gum for the eyes. Right? You sit down, watch TV. How about your hobbies? I'm always on my boys about Xbox. Xbox is the big fight in our house. How much time is spent with it? We go to addictions, food, wine, drugs, maybe pornography. We go to football. Everybody's glad it's football season. I love college football. It's the best, for me, one of the best parts of the year. Soccer in England has started. In fact, my home team, Manchester United, are playing as I speak. As soon as I sit down, I will look and go, did they win? Did they win? One of those things that you can do now to keep you connected. But before you know where you are, all your joy is not coming from the Lord, not spending time with the Lord, not spending time in His Word, not being connected to the one who's got this abundance of love and joy and grace. And we keep nibbling on the world and these fleeting joys and wondering why we still are empty. Isn't that the case? I know it is with me. The psalm expresses the center of the psalm is in verse 3. The Lord has done things for us, and we are glad. Your pastor this morning is not asking you right, to save people, to be the Holy Spirit to people. What he's asking, just like this psalm, and just like verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. What we're asking for, and what the Scripture asks for, very simply as we work alongside God, is to be witnesses. And many of us can't be witnesses because we've got nothing to witness to. And no one comes up to us and says, why are you the way you are? Because either you're glad or some joy, or you're able to say, hey, do you have a moment? This is what God has done for me this week. This is how he's, he's turned things around. And people are more than willing often to listen to that. In fact, in prison, it's sometimes very easy to be a witness because people are in a very, very uh, difficult place. 
They say churches and prisons are the most religious institutions in the world. And I would agree with that. They are. So what does the psalmist say? How does he bring about, how do the Israelites celebrate joy on this difficult road up to Jerusalem? First of all, Christian joy is found in remembrance of sudden past grace. The context of this, perhaps it's Egypt and the song of Miriam and the Exodus. The uh, Psalms usually always celebrate what God has done in the past. We will do that this morning when we get around the communion table. What are we doing other than celebrating what God has done in the past? It has a present function, but we're remembering what Christ did on the cross, are we not? Well, the Jews did that. They remembered their salvation when they came out of Egypt with God's saving hand with the ten plagues. And they came into the wilderness, and there they began to spend 40 years with God as they learned obedience and discipleship. God had saved them. And they went from slavery, making bricks without straw for over 400 years. And this is the extraordinary thing about grace, isn't it? That one moment you're in pain and suffering, and the next minute there are tears of laughter, there are shouts of joy. And the children of Israel went through the Reed Sea, it split open, destroyed all their enemies. They were able to pass through, and you get the song of Miriam. We will sing unto the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. We used to sing that when you were kids, right? And they rejoiced. Why were they rejoicing? Because suddenly... 400 years of slavery had ended. God's promises had been fulfilled to them, and it produced this enormous uh, joy as they saw God fight their fights for them and defeat their enemies. Perhaps they're remembering that. But as I've already said, the closer context was God having taken them after years of backsliding, both in the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, and in the southern kingdom, God had come to them, warned them through the prophets that he was going to dis- discipline his own people. And he took them into captivity for 70 years in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. And that's where we get the books of Daniel, and Ezra, and Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And then after 70 years, King Cyrus allowed them to go back. And they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. They were able to worship again. And that act of grace, that mercy, something that they thought would never happen, they were always remembering. They were always remembering Jerusalem and their ability to worship there. It happened. It happened suddenly. And this is the songs of confidence that they have. Verses 1 and 2, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. People notice when God has done great things for you. 
Because what they will usually notice is that you will have a heart that is light, that is full of joy. It's a heart that has known suffering, that has known pain, perhaps known discipline from the Lord. But you are able to recognize that it's come from the Lord's hand and then suddenly He has opened a way and something has changed. And you know that you know that you know only He could have done it. Now, you've got to be British to understand this, this illustration I'm going to give to you. But in England, England, English people love advertising. You do over here. Some of the best TV is in advertising, isn't it? Around the Super Bowl, that's when that's the most expensive advertising people make, some of the best advertisements. They're usually very, very funny. And in England, we've got a beer called... Uh, Black Label, I think, I bet he drinks Black Label. That's what they say. I bet he drinks Black Label, and it's a beer. And there's a whole series of advertisements, but before I left, this is a long time ago, probably 30 years ago, the Brits, we love to make fun of the Germans, okay? Second World War, there's a lot of history there, okay? We love to make fun of the Germans. And the English people have noticed that whenever they go on vacation in the Mediterranean, the Germans will always come down early in the morning, about 7 o'clock, and lay their towels on a deck chair. Say, it's taken. Okay, so you come down. No one's in the pool, but all the deck chairs are taken. Well, the Germans have got them all. And so one of these advertisements shows this scene of an Englishman and a German coming down, and there's only one deck chair that's left around the pool. And in the background, there's the Dam Busters music. Remember the Dam Busters? Well, there's the Dam Busters music because everybody knows that Barnes Wallace invented a bomb, the bouncing bomb, that burst all the dams in Germany. And so... This Englishman's coming down the stairs. He sees the German. All of a sudden, he grabs his towel and he casts it on the water and it bounces right across the pool. Doom, 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 doom. And it unfolds on the deck chair. And two other Englishmen look up and suddenly look at each other and say, I bet he drinks Carling Black Label. <laughs> all of that to tell you is people notice when you've got something, don't they? They do. Always be ready. Peter says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. It's not like we go around buttonholing people, but people should be buttonholing you. Do you, do you know that word, buttonholing? I'm, I'm getting old these days. My boys, they keep telling me that too. Getting old. That is, always be ready to give an answer. Apologia. That's the word used there in Greek, to give an apology. For what? To give an answer for the hope that is within you because they see it in you. Are people asking you what God has done? And that's what is happening in this psalm. The people are reminding each other of what God has done. And very often we can't remember and we have to go back to the big events, don't we? in our lives and remember what God has done. It can be your salvation. It can be anything. But people notice and surely we've all got a vast treasury of memorials to God's grace and miracles in our lives. 
I remember when I first became a Christian, I'd spent months and months seeking the Lord. I'd read a book by A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God. And I thought it was all me. I was getting dissatisfied with my life, hated my sin. And one night in a bedroom, I was living with my sister away from home, and suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon me. And I raised the roof in praise. My sister's boyfriend was downstairs. He was so shocked, he ran out of the house. I'll never forget it. I can see him now. By my bed, I can look out the window, and I see him. He's looking up at the window, wondering what on earth is going on as I'm raising the roof. Because suddenly, everything had changed. It was that miracle. God suddenly stepped in, and that miracle occurred. One of my greatest treasures to find when I went to, I went to France two, three years after I was converted, and I went to France, and I found this about Blas Pascal. Who's heard of Blas Pascal? Blas Pascal wrote a book called Pensée, Thoughts, and it was a book of apologetics towards people in Paris who didn't believe in God. And he, he died pretty young. He was about 39, always sickly. He was the inventor of the first calculating machine. His father was the tax collector for Cardinal Richelieu, who was the chief, like almost the prime. Oh, he was a Catholic uh, bishop. He was the chief political honcho for France at the time. And his father collected all the taxes, could see his father, you know, travailing every night. And finally, he invented and made a, a box. But because of, he was a genius with mathematics, he was able to make it the first calculating. So he's often known as the inventor of the first computer. That's Blas Pascal. Brilliant man in physics, maths. Then he became a Christian. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, the 23rd. He's like a scientist writing this down. Feast of St. Clement, Pope and Martyr, and others in the martyrology. Vigil of St. Chrysogonus, Martyr and others. He's being very precise because he's a scientist about what is happening to him. From about half past ten at night until about half past midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling. And then he writes, joie, joy, period. La paix, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And then it says, joy, joy, joy. Tears of joy. Eternally in joy for a day's exercise on the earth. May I never forget your words. I found that because when I lived in France for a couple of years, I was always trying to tell people what it is I was. And French people couldn't understand because most of them only know the Catholic Church. I actually saw a magazine in France once that said that the Catholic Church was being decimated 
and that 25% of its number were atheists. That's how bad it is. Yeah. But I was able to say, this Pascal, one of yours, I've had an experience like that that has brought me to know the Lord Jesus Christ in such exuberant joy. And it's a memorial. They found this text. There's two of them in his own handwriting, but they found one of them sewn into a pocket over his heart so he would never forget what God had done for him. There is nothing wrong with remembering what God has done for you. The psalm here says that God rescued us from exile. We remembered His grace. We remembered that miracle. He returned us to Jerusalem. We rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and the temple. And we are glad. And now all the nations are going, Oh my gosh, look what happened to them. Everybody thought that was the end of them. If you were strung out on drugs, gambling, whatever it is, whatever sin you were lost in, most, a lot of people will have said, well, that's the end of you. You're going down the tubes. But God. They say the two most important words in all the Scripture. But God. Miracle. But God steps in. Joy comes from remembering how God has saved us. Can you remember? Do you have your own memorial? And does it warm your heart even now as you remember it? Secondly, Christian joy is found in expectation of sudden future grace. In verse 4, it says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. Does anybody know what the Negev is? Hmm? A river? It actually isn't. It's a flash flood. The Negev is a desert. And a lot of people, you see this a lot here in the United States. You can go into the desert, pitch your tent... A lot of people get killed like this every year. You pitch your tent in a place that's really dry and arid. You're not thinking anything of it. And the next thing you know, a couple of hours later, you're dead. Why? Because where you pitch your tent actually is a riverbed. <laughs> it's all dried up. And they could see all of these in the Negev. And every so often, it would rain. And within a couple of hours, all these rivers would form so quickly and wash everything away. There was one up in, I think a few weeks ago, up in uh, Boston, I think, there was a flash flood, a hundred-year flood, where the whole town was almost nearly washed away. The streams, you know, two, three feet deep, just suddenly coming through. Nowhere for the water to go, there's that much of it. And here the psalmist is saying, restore our fortunes just like that. We can go on dry and thirsty only for so long. But Lord, will you restore our fortunes as we're going now back up to Jerusalem? We've remembered what you did in Egypt. We've remembered again what you've done in returning us back to Jerusalem after our, our exile. But Lord, do it again. <laughs> restore our fortunes. We're going to Jerusalem because we need your grace. Isn't that why we come each week to worship? We come each week to worship because we need to restore our fortunes. 
We need that grace to come when we're gathered together as a community to flood us and remind us that we're still with Him, still on the road. So Christian joy is found in expectation of sudden future grace. In the remembrance of past grace, and Christian joy is found in present obedience to God's work. Look at these words. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Joy is not found in relief from work. Very often in some of our Christian circles, especially some charismatic circles, all the emphasis is put on having an experience. But I know from my own experience that a lot of experiences come because you ask for it. You often don't see that God is guiding you and bringing you to that place. But God's grace comes to those who ask for it. And that comes through often sorrow, tears. It comes from work. Joy involves suffering and pain and not apart from it. The great example of this is Jesus in the garden, is it not? I can almost see Jesus reading this and knowing that He would be doing this. But who would He, who would he be doing it for? He wasn't doing it for his own self. Yes, he prayed. Oh, Father, will you take this cup from me? He was praying. But I believe Jesus was praying and sweating blood as he saw the sacrifice that he would have to go through, but was willing to go through that sacrifice for you and for me. He sweat blood. He sorrowed and mourned the night before the cross so that we would know the release of grace, so that we would know that the price was paid and the gift of the Holy Spirit could be sent upon us and that we could receive it because our guilt was taken away by Jesus Himself. He had paid the price. He had done the work. He had pressed in to the sacrifice of taking away the debt that we owe to God through His prayer life, His tears, His sweating of blood. It's through His work that we are released. Is it not? Christian joy is found in obedience to this work. Yesterday, my wife and I, we were talking about our boys. We're really struggling with them being teenagers and transitioning from being in control to not being in control. Having to be more influencers then we are controllers and tellers and authoritarians. And I tell you, I work in a prison maybe because it suits my personality. I can be authoritarian in, in a heartbeat. You did what? But as we sat on the bed and my wife cried, I said, are those tears of sorrow and sadness for their souls or are those tears of self-pity that our boys are just not behaving in the way in which we want them to. How dare you? You judge my tears. I said, I'm just asking. Truly, I'm not. How much time have we actually sowed into praying for them, praying for their salvation, 
praying, if they're already saved, praying for the grace of the Lord to go deeper in their lives and deeper in our own. The greatest gift I really believe that I give to my own children is my own repentance. When they tell the truth about me and I won't receive it, what I'm saying is I have my own righteousness. I don't need you. Do you who are you? 18? You talk to me? I'm 56. What? No, they know. Present joy is through present obedience. And I think that's what the pastor is calling to. Has your own memorial, how God has worked in your life, been stirred up this morning? Has the Lord stirred up that He can do that again? Because I don't need just one baptism. I need many baptisms. I need much grace. I need more grace now than I'm a 56-year-old Barely able to see curmudgeon. I need more grace now, not less. I'm forgetting the cross behind and now I've come on to some new knowledge you know, of how to stay straight. Is the same prison? Are you straight? No. I need more grace. And that grace should lead us to want to pray on behalf of our colleagues, on behalf of our families. Where else was the where you go enjoy, you know, recreation, sport, wherever it is. What are people seeing in you? Where is all your joy and laughter? Let's pray. Lord, I know that it's not until we see you doing what this psalm says. Sowing tears. Not for our, just for our own souls, but for others. Weeping and sowing those tears in prayer. Asking you to do what only you can do. Lord, cure us of trying to be the Holy Spirit. Trying to convince others of where they're wrong. Lord, convince us of where we're wrong and may joy come from our own repentance. Lord, I pray that there would be shouts of joy not only in my house but in vintage grace. That there would be a rich harvest. That we would bring our sheaves to the house of the Lord and say, look what the Lord has done for us. Lord, help us now to remember those you placed in our lives and pray to you. Lord, help us to be priests and intercessors for the people who are not yet Christians in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. No song? Okay. We are going to go straight into our uh, communion. In fact, I need my glasses again.